Paul Maxwell scored over 100 goals in three spells as a striker at Ashfield. The Milton man was signed after playing as a trialist against his local team, then went on to help them climb the leagues. Since 2018, he's been the manager trying to bring those fortunes back to Saracen Park. The field share their ground with the Glasgow Tigers Speedway team, and after a tough start to a COVID hit campaign, we'll hear how Maxi is planning to get them back on their bike when football returns. When exactly that will be is anyone's guess. The government announced this week they aren't prepared to sanction a restart until infection figures fall further. That situation will be reviewed again on March the 1st. Interim West of Scotland League Secretary Kenny Young will also join us to discuss just exactly what that means for the rest of the campaign. Kilburnie Lakeside Assistant Manager Des Roach brings us news of events in the lower leagues in his new Roach's Roundup slot. Then to finish off, we'll look back at Paul's playing career, which also included spells at Dumbarton and Irvine Meadow. It's all here as we go down the divisions. Good to have you along for another 60 minutes or so looking at Scotland's lower leagues. So Paul, March the 1st becomes the next cut-off point on the horizon. Um, we talk about delays and the lockdown every week, but how are you managing your squad through these kind of delay after delay after delay? It's been difficult, Gareth, obviously. Keeping contact with the boys, obviously we're on social media and group chats. Uh, we put out a training plan, obviously we've got the, the, the Strava and the player data and stuff like that, but we decided we didn't know when football was going back. We couldn't ask the boys. We can't motivate the guys to go out running every night. So what I've actually done is I've contacted a few different managers to find out what they were, they were doing. And I actually picked up the phone to Mick Kennedy at Darvo and just said, look, can I, what are you guys doing? And do you know what? can't thank the guy enough. He's sent us training programmes and said, look, we've got guys in doing sports science and stuff like that. I'm quite happy to share the stuff with you, so I can't thank Darvel enough for that. So they sent us like a three-week program. We had to adapt it slightly because we don't have the sports scientists. So the boys have got that, uh, and we were hoping maybe this week that we would know a little bit better of where we were at. But it turns out that we're not going back. So I need to phone Mick see if he's got another three weeks. <laughs> it's quite quite refreshing to hear though, because I guess the last lockdown. People talked about vested interests and selfishness in the game, so it's quite refreshing to hear that you know clubs wanting to share things amongst themselves. Do you know what? In, in fairness, it's, it's, it's not just Mick. Mick's been great. I just phoned a couple of managers just to find out what other people were doing because we want to see what the, the, the teams higher up the league are, are doing and, and, and you want to try and emulate that and bring the professionalism to the club. But even on the weekend, I'd spoke to Murdo, who we had in the show from Pollock, and, you know, he's given us a kind gesture of when things return are friendly to help the club out and stuff like that. So people have, people have been great, honestly. I think everybody's kind of rallied together. And, uh, this is the side that maybe the players don't see, the work that managers do to try and make things that little bit better. Uh, obviously, as I say, with lockdown, it's keeping in contact with them is very, very difficult. But we try our best and hopefully the guys... Are listening to what we've got and uh, are gonna gonna do the work. Good stuff. A quick word for our sponsors before we uh, begin. Media agency Forty Four Creative. 
If you're looking for photographers, graphic designers, videographers, or video editors to help promote your content, brand, organization, or event, then they'd love to hear from you. They make creation personal. Find out more at www.44creativehq.com. We'll include that link in the show's description on your podcast player too. Back to the show, and please do keep the comments and suggestions for guests coming. If you're a club in the lower leagues looking for more exposure, we'd also like to hear from you. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can contact us through Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. My name's Tommy Sloan, Ochenlet Talbot Manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Ashfield boss Paul Maxwell is on the show this week. Thanks for being with us, Paul. Uh, you're welcome. Thanks for having us, guys. We'll, uh, we'll chat some more in a moment, but before we do, we've got the Down the Divisions decider. We'll give you four clues for a particular club from League One down, then reveal the answer at the end of the show. Over to you, Paul, for this week's clues. I'll bring you in on this as well, Paul. Max, he'll get this this week. I'm sure he will. So... I'll read the clues out and we'll give the answer at the end of the show. So, they were founded in 1964. They play in a meadow. Lee McCulloch played for them. They now share their ground with a team who had to move home from their ground at Adamsley Park. Paul's got it, isn't he? Yeah. Easy. Not this there week. Not this week there for me. There you go. I've made it easy. Give you a I actually get sent off at that ground. Um, my first ever sending off in junior football was at that ground. There you go. If, if, he's, he's, right. if, he's, if he's right, if he's right, if he's right. Answers at the end of the show. I'm David Gormley, manager of Rossville Football Club, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Ashfield manager Paul Maxwell is with us. Um, I mentioned there about the announcement earlier this week, Paul. What, what did you make of it? Um, I don't think it was uh, unexpected. Um, I think I've had two or three announcements since uh, the lockdown happened just before Christmas about almost pausing the season or pausing um, the social aspect for, for a, fair, a certain period. Um, I think if you read in between the lines with whether it's government news or the SFA or, or even our own region, then you can anticipate that it was going to happen. So it's been a little bit of a different experience or a different approach that we've had um, this time around from the first lockdown, I suppose. Um, no surprising, and I think it's very understandable at the same time. Well, we'll find out some more about that announcement. I'm delighted to say we now have the West of Scotland League Interim Secretary, Kenny Young, joining us. Uh, thanks for being with us again, Kenny. Appreciate you, you coming on. Uh, no problem, Gareth. Uh, it's always good to, to talk. Recently, you talked to changing fixtures to try to, to get to the end of the season. Was, was this latest development earlier in the week a surprise to you? No, not a big surprise. I just think there was uh, a couple of things within it that uh, is disappointing rather than a surprise. Uh, we had a meeting with the SFA, uh, with Ian Marchwell and Rod Petrie, and he explained quite a few things to 
our levels. Uh, the west, the east, uh, the south, and the the juniors. And basically, where we are is that uh, the League One and League Two, as you know, they were anticipating getting back with uh, testing being in place, but they've decided they're not even going to go with that at the moment. So we were looking at that being part of the stages that would come in and we would we would eventually get back. But if they're not getting back in with testing, then that lets us look at things and say, well, you know, they keep moving this light further down the tunnel. Uh, so we're, we're, kinda, we're very wary that we might struggle uh, to get a complete season finished. So we're looking at plan, I don't know what, how far into the alphabet we are, but we're, we're, quite, we're quite well into it, I think. Kenny, obviously it was round about this time last year our season finished. Uh, is that an option now? Are you guys thinking about that? Just saying, do you know what? Let's just wind it. We spoke about the last time you were on the show that creation of this West of Scotland League should have been, you know, a brand new, it's a brand new thing. You know, we could promote it. It's a change for everybody. It's a change for all the team. Is it in your mind or in the interim committee's mind now just to say, do you know what? Let's launch this next year. No, I... I think what we've got is there's a, the majority of the clubs have bought into it and, and they want to be playing football and we've got to try and facilitate that whatever way we can. Uh, I'm, I'm, no, I'm not a guy for chopping the towel in. Um, and I think as long as there is hope there, then we should hang on to that hope. Um how long it takes us to get back is going to be the problem. And while there's still a possibility there, then we've got to give the clubs that hope as well. Um, it's, there's too many variables there. We, we, we don't want to be saying it at this moment in time. The, the, the Scottish FA has got to come back to us on March the 1st uh, and let us know what the next update is. So... We'll go to at least wait to then to see what they come uh, back with, um, and whether we get. I mean, they're no, they're not going to lift the professional exemption, so we will be able to play once things cool down a wee bit. So, what, is, what, is that what, what, length, what kind of season we're going to have will depend on when we actually get back to play. So you're talking about the professional exemption. Are you saying if League One, Two get back, then that means Lowland, West of Scotland, Highland will all get to play because we're all under that banner? Have I picked that up wrong? No, no. The, I think at the moment that League One and League Two had a plan and they put that plan to them, but I think that the they still weren't prepared to, to let it go because... At the end of the day, League One and Two, there's still a lot of part-time players there. So, you know, that they've got their work, they've got their family life. When you're when you're looking at your full-time teams in the 
the Premier Division and the Championship, there, there's a wee bit of a difference there. And they're testing twice a week. Now, the plan for League 1 and 2 was to test once a week because of the cost. So, obviously, the government and the, the SFA have decided that's still no enough for them. So, there might come a, a, a part where there'll be a staged return and League 1 and 2 might be first to get back. And then they'll see how far that goes. And then when when we do get to a stage where they feel that it's okay for us to get back to the position we were in before they stopped everything, then we might get back. So, again, we're, we're, we've got to wait and see what they, they come out with. Is, is that something that you're quite pleased to hear, Paul? I think it's a different circumstance. Paul made a good point there. That we, we, we stopped uh, the season this time last year. And but the difference with last year to this year, the, or that last season, this season, is most teams had played like 70%, 80%, 50% of the games plus. Um, I, I think with this season, you know, I think we kicked off in October, Paul, correct me if I'm wrong. Um, and Ashfield, for example, played five games. There's no promotion, there's no relegation. And I'm thinking, well, would it be easier? And would it be, you know, maybe ultimately safer as well that if we decide to just regroup and, and start again for the summer, for next season? And for me, that's what I'm swaying towards. Um, but I understand why people want to kick a ball. I'm, I'm a player, I'm a, an ex-player myself, and as a manager, you're desperate to play. But I, I, I would, I'd hate to go there and finish the season Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, Saturday, Monday, Wednesday, put it that way, um, just to scramble a season to finish. Kenny, obviously, you're now on Plan Z. There's no, there's no, you know, we've not got much more room to go. Uh, how would you foresee it? And I, listen, I'm, I'm, I really respect you for coming on and, and, and facing these questions because I'm sure your phone's absolutely inundated. But how would you how would you see it going? Would we be playing into trying to get a season in into like June? Now for, for us, we're in the small. We're we think it's only nine teams in our conference. We could probably rattle a season off pretty quick, but. The, the, the the teams in the kind of larger sections would be difficult. Would you how would you see that? Would you see that running into summer football into June, or would it be let's get it in March and let's try and fire this as many games in as we can till over the next three months? Well, the, what we have at the moment is that we've got a long time between now and when the new season starts. So there's there's a big there's a lot of time to fill. What do you fill that with? You just tell the boys, right, that's it. You get back training, and you're training it two, uh, two three nights a week, and there's no game at the end of that. You know, it's a long while before we come back to August, when we get, and hopefully we can get get going with a full season. So I would like to hope that there's going to be something there between now and and June. Now the problem we have is the Premier Division. And if we get teams that are licensed, they're entitled to go for the playoffs into the the, the Lowland League. And that the closing date for that is the twenty second. So we've got to cram something in there to the twenty second of May. But if there's no team 
in a position to go to the playoffs, i.e. they don't have their licence or they're not going to win that league, then we can play into June with them. So I'm not ready for throwing the towel in at the moment. Uh, Like I said, a lot of the clubs have bought into this and they want to be playing football. We're an outdoor sport and if we can't get people outside playing football, we're going to be locked up forever. It's it's, it's no it's no an easy it's not an easy answer. Obviously, the the West of Scotland League is run by an interim committee at the moment, but it's the guys from the Lowland League who are sitting on that until we have the uh, AGM and, and positions are filled. What's the the appetite for these guys uh, for promotion out of the Premier League into the Lowland League, do they see that as a possibility if the clubs are licensed are they they up for that? Well it's it's what we started, this is what it's all about, it's about the pyramid and if that position is there then we've got to give the clubs that opportunity to play for that position but once it becomes clear that there's no club going to be licensed or in a position to win it, then we can look at things a wee bit differently. Now, the, the Lowland League have handed over control to the interim management group at the moment, and we're, we're, we're going to be calling a special general meeting on the 1st of March, and we're going to be asking the clubs to elect a board from the, the membership clubs. So then we, whoever's in that position will have total control of the league and it will be up to them to make these big decisions. We're at the moment just keeping things ticking over until that happens. So these that, big decisions will come about in the 1st of March because that is number one. We're getting the, the, the special general meeting plus we're going to have an update from the SFA. So the big decisions will follow after that. Without kind of dwelling on Kenny, how would that work then? So the so out so the West of Scotland League would then have their committee running it. Lowland League guys back to the Lowland League because I'm, I'm correct in saying some of the guys are on that, that interim committee at the moment. For you to say, you know, it'll be our league. We can we can't surely demand the promotion or anything like that. Is that? I'm just trying to see if there's any appetite, if this is going to work together to have a genuine pyramid system. I would hate for something to go back now, rushed, and then that pyramid system doesn't quite work. Because, now again, correct me if I'm wrong, was the Highland League worth planning a meeting? I don't know whether that meeting took place to find out whether their league was going to continue. I just don't know where all this congestion is going to leave teams, if that makes sense. Well, well, these things have been agreed. It's already been agreed that uh, if you've got a license and you win your league, you'll enter the playoff, and if you win that playoff, you'll be promoted into the Lowland League. That's set in stone, whatever way that happens, whether it's somebody for the West or somebody from the East, then we don't know that at the moment, but it's, it's going to happen. So as long as we can get a season... If we can't get a season, then nobody can be declared as a champion. So therefore, it's uh, as we are. I'll maybe bring Paul in on this. And would you be quite prepared to, if everything's all safe and we go back to to kind of play that, 
you know, right up to the end of next season, rather than, as Kenny quite rightly says, instead of kind of training, going in there and uh, just playing games and getting this season out of the way? Um, I haven't really thought about it in that sense. What all, all I've kind of thought about is, is we, we've got two options. Sorry, we've got the one option here, and that's to try and cram it in before before the end of the typical season, which is really about me. May, June. And for me, right now, that doesn't sound appealing because, you know, we're, we're already um, well, suspended to the end of February. Um, again, if I just read in between the lines with, with, with government emails and communication, that, that could extend, and I don't know. But because of so I would, much I just come in so on that, Paul. Yes, Ken. Paul, just. I, I, I know where you're coming from. You don't want to end up with. Uh, a month of cramming in fixtures but where we are at the moment is I've got it all set that I need 10 weeks or no 10 weeks I need 10 uh, 10 match days to complete all the leagues now that could be probably that could come into 6 weeks you know if you use your Wednesdays so that is that is where we're going to get to a cut-off point when I can't get 10 match days fitted in. And these 10 match days pits us to the 50% and also a place where everybody will have played every other team in their league. And that, that, is, a, that is the main target at the moment. Obviously, if we can get playing more games than that, we'll continue to play them. But I, I certainly don't have any plans to turn that into uh, where you're playing every second day. One of the things I felt throughout when, when we were back, because at that period that we were back playing, I felt the interim committee had worked really, really hard. And I'm only just re- reading through the, the emails that come out, and I'm not saying it here because Kenny's sat there, but I just felt, you know, there was correspondence about maybe even getting dressing rooms back. I know dressing rooms, what was it? What was, how did you describe it, Kenny? It was changing areas or something, changing, wasn't it? Changing spaces. Changing spaces. So I just felt we were getting back to potentially getting changing spaces. I would like to think if we were going back, that we were going back with all that would be in place because whilst we did decide, we all opted to go back and changing sides of stands and all that, I'm looking at my window the day, not the games would be on in the snow, but do you know what I mean? It's, <laughs> we're in February, it's freezing cold. It'd be nice if we could even get back with some kind of, more of the facilities open as well. I think uh, that was proved challenging. I don't know how you found that, Paul, if that was a, a challenge for you guys. Yeah, these are, these are the number of factors which behind the thinking of me saying some of the stuff I'm saying is because, you know, I've actually had other clubs contact me and seeing if Ashville's available just to train because there's a lot of places closed where clubs cannot train and and I think these are the number of factors out with what we do and it's kick a ball on a Saturday for the West of Scotland and, or you know, previously junior and, and you think the protocols you mentioned there Paul as well, I think we were getting to a point where we were slowly progressing into potentially getting changing areas um, potentially spectators I don't know could have been the next thing but we went back to square one and if we start the league and it's great that Kenny's got that plan in place that, and that's I've not heard that from yet Kenny and that's refreshing to hear that there is a good plan in place that we could finish a season 
but what happens if there's another break or another pause? And that and that that's that's my fear. And and that that's where not only players can get sickened, but just people in general get sickened with it. So I think to your point, Paul, if it was pause sorry, it was suspended, it would hurt in a sense, but I'd understand. And then we started a complete fresh going into the summer. Um, for, for for next season, with an opportunity for those new pro- those protocols to be kind of what the dressing rooms not opened etc. Then that for me should be a new objective. That's just that my opinion, but I understand why people have other opinions. And and what about your players, Paul? I mean, there's one thing, there's one thing like saying about how tough it's been to arrange training facilities and so on. Are your players reporting back to you that they've got a bit tired of it now and just to sack it and just to come back and your players are sort of fed up with this stop-start nature? Um, I think, I mean, it's, it's, it's probably an obvious answer, Gareth, that they, they are, yes, of course. Um, I think they were more frustrated the first time around, you know, because it was a new, it was a pandemic, nobody ever experienced it before, they never experienced the events before. Um and you know there was that desperation to get back playing but as you see more what's happening around the world and what's happening locally and that i think players are getting to understand why there's there's suspensions why there's there's, there's less questions to me there's less questions to a club from my players anymore they, and i've got a good squad a boys that i know they'll take care of themselves um off the field but I mean, I was talking to a few boys today and, and they're just like, well, we hope it gets back this season and we hope we can just kick a ball this season. But it's not so much, when are we getting back, Paul? When are we doing this? When are we doing that? I should hope they understand that I'm in the same boat, that I'm as clueless as them, in a sense. Um, so, yeah. I think the full journey the full journey of this pandemic, though, we stopped this time last year and we were all thinking, I will get to June. But after June... You know, we were still all going for summer holidays last June. You know, I, it'll be all right. It'll be all right. We'll, we'll be finish it up now and all right. Teams, there was humming and harm. Teams had won titles and no many points and all that kind of stuff. But we wound it up and that was fine. It was that unknown, that unknown. And then as the year's gone on, boys, I know so much disheartened, but then you think you're going back for the season starting. So you think you're going back July, August. We did go back training and at that point then the season doesn't start and then it was decided that we would go back and then the whole format changed against the boys like alright that's good we're going back and then it changes again as we come into the new year it stopped again so when way back at the very beginning when especially when we were even telling the youth teams because the youth teams haven't played for a year you're, t- you're saying to the kind of the kids you'll be the same Paul Ashfield you, 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 with the youth teams there you're saying to them, right, this might happen after Christmas. You're not going to get back to after Christmas. Oh, we'll be back before then. And I just think this whole journey of the pandemic with people not knowing and then they stop starting. So it's not even a case like of our players being fed up. It's now it's more of a case of the boys try and get the news out to us as quick. Oh, have you read this? Someone's put this on Twitter. And it's, it's that anticipation, are we ever going back? Then you read the news today that you know, it is actually illegal to go your holidays now. And and, and and the figures are so high. So it must be an absolute nightmare for you, Kenny, because 
people are turning around looking for the answers for you. Maybe pointing the finger sometimes at the interim. I mean, you'll be getting emails all the time. No, uh, no, the, the the clubs have been the clubs have been brilliant. I mean, they're very understanding. They're no they're no coming at you with anger or anything like that. They, they, they realise the situation uh, is out of your hands as much as it is out of their hands. But they're you know they're living in they're living in hope. You know, because it's it's a game we all love, and the guys sitting out there desperate to get back into it, and and I fear that you know they might be they might come a point where some of the guys that are sitting there are thinking, you know what, I've been out of this game for a year now. I think I'll just wrap it up. You know, we we, we don't we want to give them something to hang on to, you know. I hope this doesn't happen, but maybe we don't get back this year. Maybe the SFA don't get back, and everybody gets vaccine. You know, the vaccines are out there. But come the start of next season, we're still in a position. Maybe you'll decide that we'll go back in July. But this pandemic's no away. Crowds might still not be allowed back, but we might we might get to go back playing. See all the teams that maybe opted out last year. They might be in the same boat this year and say. Well, some of the team says they, they, they couldn't compete because there was no crowds. Some people said it was not safe. How does that happen? How would, and I maybe jump too far ahead here, but how would we look at that come four or five months' time if we start the league afresh, but conditions are not that much better? Would these teams be allowed a second year out? Uh, again, that's a call that's quite a, a, a long way away, but I think there'd be, I think we're more likely to delay the start of the season rather than bring it forward. Uh, I, I think we're, if, if we were told that there's a likelihood that we could have fans back in in September, I would rather delay the start of the season to September than start it in August without them. So I can't see us bringing the season forward in any way. So uh, again, it's all about how you keep these guys interested, keep them occupied, and make sure that they they want to come back into the game. And for clubs that have been out, then they've got they've they've got another big choice uh, to make. Uh, and whether we're able to give them that choice this time around or no, we don't we don't know. Because I don't I don't think we can afford to go another season playing conferences because we really need to get set up with the the four leagues that we're intending to have. Premiership, then League One, Two and Three. We need to get that in line because that's you know, that that's when the clubs will start playing clubs of their, you know, like stature. Just before we we let you go, Kenny, just with that um, desire to keep playing, have you got a cut-off date in your head as to when you might have to kind of give in and say this isn't happening this season? Well, Conference C, for instance, I only need six match days to finish it to the halfway stage. So uh, the other three leagues, I'm going to need 10 to finish them. 
Uh, and that, as I say, is only purely to get them to a stage where everybody has played each another and that's it, and we're over the 50%. The thing might happen that uh, if we come... I, I think the, the cut-off date for the licence for clubs is the end of February. So it might come about by the end of February that no, none of these teams that are have applied for a licence actually get their licence. So we don't need to try and finish up on the 22nd of May. Or we could ask these clubs, look, if we're finishing the 22nd of May, then the season will be null and void. If you take out the promotion and we play past the 22nd of May, we could play into the 22nd of June. And that gives us another month to play football. And then you have your June, uh, uh, July and into August. August for your pre-season, so I, I'm not I'm not ready for uh, looking at a a date when if we're still under restrictions, that's it. I'm going to wait until I get told when we can start. And before you before you leave, Kenny, is you've got that desire, you've got that burning desire to no chuck the towel and. Is everybody else on the committee, are they, are they still got that same feeling as you do? Yeah, everybody on the, the interim management group at the moment, we're working towards a, a continuation when we get the nod. So, I mean, I mean we're, we're all of the same mind. Uh, nobody that we've, we've been having were, were meetings, were Zoom meetings and uh, were, were WhatsApp group and what have you to keep in contact and at no time has anybody suggested that uh, it's time to, to call it a day. So as long as there is a light at the end of the tunnel, we'll keep going towards that light. Kenny, thanks for uh, thanks for joining us. That's uh, that's interesting stuff and hopefully it clears up a few uh, a few questions some of the, the listeners might have had in their mind. Um, we know you've been a busy man all season, so we really appreciate you, you giving up your time. No problem. Once again, thanks for having me on. All the best, guys. Cheers, Kenny. See you soon. What did you think of the comments there, Paul? Uh, no surprising. I think Kenny's he's always had that kind of same drive for the minute he took over the role. Um, in a pandemic, I think he's been a big positive. But I just I just think it has to be a wee bit of realism. I mean, what's it going to achieve, Paul? You've been the same. What's it going to achieve getting to 50% of the games? And all it's... I speak to Jamie McCamry, I spoke to him in the chat of Fenley and they won they won the league last year, as you know. They played I don't even think they got to fifty percent of the game, I think. They played fourteen games, didn't they? Uh, 14, so they never they, they never even got to half, that. Near, near half and Jamie was just like, Yeah, we we had a kind of mini celebration for it and the boys were proud and we were we were confident we'd go and win it. But I don't know if you remember, Paul, at that time, we had went one, we'd won eight of our last nine games before the last lockdown. So even Asher were a wee bit confident that we could actually maybe go and compete there. I understood, so like Johnston at the time were at the best side, but you didn't think, really, if I was sitting top of the league and I was maybe a point ahead or two points ahead and I was 50% where, is it going to be the same kind of feeling you winning a title? Because no promotion relegation, it's going to be the same feeling winning a title, getting to to you know to that point and and for me no 
Say it all honestly, if I won it when he played 14 games, I'd have the open top bus gone and <laughs> gone to new mains, mate. I'm not gonna lie. <laughs> I'd take it. <laughs> Look, looking at uh, your time in charge at Ashfield, Paul. Uh, I think it's been well, be three years in in July since since you went in there. How, how have you found management? I think uh, certainly enjoyable. It's a it's a different experience um, from. As a player, or even as a coach, I actually went back to Ashfield this time around as a player coach under manager at the time, Robert Doherty, four years ago, um, and um, learned a lot from him. And uh, I was taking my badges as well, and uh, just I think a lot of a lot of history I had with the club. It was probably a no-brainer when the chairman at the time asked me to take on the role. Uh, when Robert Robert decided to move on to the SFA, he had a, he'd got a new role in the SFA, so he, he kind of he didn't. It's not as if he wanted to leave the club, but he, he kind of had to. And um, with his recommendation and and Tom, who's a, the chairman, he was you know, like, there's no other person that would want to take over the club. And just as I said, it was a no-brainer for me. It was, it, the association I've got with the club, and I I thought if I'm going to learn my trade, then we're we're better to do it than than the club that I played with and been associated with since I started junior football way back. In, 2002. Um, so it's been enjoyable, but Paul will tell you the exact same. It is. It's a testing job, and uh, you know it takes a, a. It's a cliche saying it, but it is a full-time role. Um, you know the, the phone goes red hot, um, and and I think initially, uh, I, I was trying to manage it as best I possibly could, and I, and that's a learning curve in itself. Is trying to manage it with your personal life, you know. I look at Ashfield, you're in our league, we've played you a couple of times, we've got great respect for, for you and, and, and the team up there. Uh, tell our listeners a wee bit about the club, because for me, the stadium and that you play at, it's a great club, it's got all the potential in the world to be up there with, with the best teams in our West of Scotland set-up. Yeah, it's a good question, and uh, you know, there's a lot of history at the club, uh, Paul and Gareth, you know, the club's been going since uh, the the late 1800s um, and for one of the most successful clubs within junior football in the early 1900s you know and uh, they, if, you, if you actually walk into the stadium go to the boardroom and you see a lot of the, hist- his- the history and the memorabilia to it you'd be quite staggered um, at some of the records it holds I think it holds a junior football record for attendance in a competitive game something like 40-50,000 at, at Saracen um, against Clyde Banker or well, Peter Silver, I can't remember not that I can remember because I wasn't there, but I, I can remember <laughs> the, the documentation I read. So it, it certainly, um, when when I first went there as a player in 2002, you got that feeling, you know, that typical junior football park feeling. Um, and I, I instantly fell in love with the place. Uh, it might sound a bit cheesy, but I did, and I was like, this is the place I want to play. And uh, more recently... Um, the club was sold, the stadium, sorry, was sold to um, Ashfield Allied under the Allied Vehicles banner. So you've got the guys that own Glasgow Tiger Speedway and there was, they, they decided to invest in, you know, redeveloping the, 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 the stadium, but it was more for Glasgow Tiger Speedway. You know, if you, if you do walk into the place now, very much a speedway complex with a football park in the middle. And that's not a criticism to the guys who own the park. They had their own agenda and their own project in that sense and they've done a lot for the club um, but it, it's kind of lost that feeling and, and in an ironic way 
because what's happening, happened with COVID, we've we've actually been able to re kind of access some of the like the old turnstiles and that because the speedway's been shut. So we've actually been able to you know kind of just reconnect that old that old school feeling that the club had. You mentioned Glasgow Tiger Speedway, Paul. Are you uh, are you into the speedway yourself? Have you had? A, have they got you on the bike yet? No, no chance. Um, I've seen a couple of races in the past. And this was before the stadium was all done up and they've invested in the track. I know that um, because my park's getting shorter and shorter. <laughs> um, <laughs> so I've tried to, but the reason they've, in, they've actually invested in the track is to make it safer. But a way back before um, Allied had uh, invested in it. It was an old school speedway track, so I used to watch a couple of races because it was either on before or after a football game, and I seen a few um, really, really bad, uh, bad crashes. As you call it, there's no brakes in those bikes, man. So that's uh, no for me. So kudos to those guys. When uh, when the season stopped most recently, there, I think you were sitting in eleventh spot. You you had one win from from just the five games. You had a game in hand over the the kind of clubs around you, if you like. So maybe it was slightly a false position without tightly bunched. It was down there, but how, how did you think the start of your season had gone? Presumably, you'd have hoped for a, a better start. Obviously, just haven't had the one win. Uh, it was a bit of a unique approach to it for us, um, Gareth and Paul, because we, we never really shared it with the players at the start of the season, you know, but. We we we, uh, we wanted to participate this season collectively. We, we there was an overall percentage that we wanted to participate this season and, and make a go of it, whatever conference, whatever teams we were coming up against. Um, and we knew it was going to be better quality um, from previous previous seasons. However, we knew we had to prep for next season, and we were going to go through a, a more turnover of players than normal. Um, and uh, yeah, we did that. We, you know, we went through a lot of players this season because we thought, you know, we'll try and bring some kids through the academy. We'll try and bring some players that we've maybe not really given that opportunity before. And and uh, I think that's probably the reason, not not to take away some of maybe you know poor decision from a management side of the coaching side of things. That's not to take away from that, but that's probably been a factor. And ended, it's only been five games as well, and we played a good against a couple of good quality sides, and that uh, and Bank. We have a very good side. They've, they've invested a lot um, in their playing squad, and uh, they they could be six five in a crazy game. But um, yeah, I wasn't too disheartened with it to be honest. But I kind of, kind of, and I suppose in a, I've had a sensible head on. We've anticipated that it was going to be different. I know you've only played five games of this season, but how have you found the step up in the standard? Is it miles different? No, no, not necessarily. I think. Um, Probably been a wee bit false, Paul, because if I look at Anne Bank, they had a couple of boys on loan um, that they might have maybe no got. They're a big striker for Hurlford. Um, we played Renfrew, we've got a lot of boys for Peter Sill as well. And you think, well, really, if we're playing Renfrew and a Renfrew squad, is it, is it going to be a different type of game we're playing? Um, uh, don't get me wrong. In terms of that kind of area, that um, type of player, it's probably just kind of consistent. So there's a couple of teams here. You think, I it's obviously going to be a learning curve for my players, but we, we competed well at times through the game. And I think you take you take positives for that. You know that yourself, Paul. See, you're, you're going, you're matching teams for maybe 40 minutes, 50 minutes in a game. You think, do you know what? If we get beat this game, it's not something 
I enjoy or I like, but you can certainly take the positive and say, no, I'll work with that. You know, what worked good for that 40, 50 minutes and I can kind of use that onto the training ground with the coaching staff as well. I know you guys have installed the youth system up there. Many kind of teams are you running up there now and, and are you seeing any of the young young guys you touched on it there a wee minute ago, many young guys coming through? Uh, yeah, so we've got we've got nine levels uh, within our academy. Um, the the oldest age group is under seventeens, um, and the youngest I think is under under mm. eights. Um, there's about 170 odd kids that we have within the academy, which is uh, brilliant to see. Um, particularly somebody who's associated with the club for so long. Um, and we thought this season might be a good opportunity, as I said, is maybe use this season as an opportunity for some kids just to kind of get a wee taster of senior football uh, taster not always a dressing room but taster around the boys before match day during the game and after the game so we, we did that with a few friendlies um, in pre-season um, and uh, without naming names because I don't want anybody listening and phoning those players mm-hmm. there is a couple there that really really excite me if I'm, if I'm being honest because um, they've been developed well within the our academy and we're getting the bonus of that. So talking about players who excite you and young players who excite you, we had uh, your striker Callum Graham on in one of the, the first episodes we did and he's obviously continuing to score, consistently scoring goals. I was going to say how far can he go? I, I guess in one respect you don't want him to go, <laughs> you don't want him to go any, anywhere, you want him to stay put but has he got something extra special that you've seen, and and can can he ultimately go up the ladder? Whether that's with Ashfield eventually, who knows? But yeah, I, I thought the way we decided we won't we won't speak about Callum Graham, you know, give him more exposure. <laughs> <laughs> um, I actually spoke to Callum yesterday. Uh, had a good chat with him um, about other things, but we, we we we've always had an honest conversation. Callum's came from you know the amateur churches level um, done very very well there I mean in fact done extremely well there and we actually worked quite well with Callum we had him in you know training and playing a few friendlies for the tail end of our first season to kind of embed him in and the friendlies we were coming up against were like your Rob Roy's Pollocks and that and he was scoring against them for fun and I was like right we need to get this lad on board um, I think as a goal scorer he's probably the best I've seen in a long time natural goal scorer and, and that's um, I don't want to give him too much of a big head in that yes I think that's probably his, his forte uh, there is other aspects he's given that I think he can improve on and, and if there's probably not to sound big headed myself if somebody can pass that wisdom and that what a bit of coaching experience on him and that nasty side of the game that you need to have and it, I think I'd like to think it's myself um, but yeah I do think he can go very far a really nice lad as well, isn't he? He seems a really level-headed guy. Really nice, really nice fella. Yeah, that, that plays a part. I think Paul will think if you've you uh, uh, um, you've got your your house in order away from football, you know what I mean. He's got a good job. Um, he works in the, the, the prison. I think he's a, a maintenance manager. Um, and uh, yeah, he's you know he's he's, he's got a girlfriend. He's just bought a new a new place as well. So he's got a sound head on him, but. At the same time, he's brilliant with the boys as well. He's he's he's, he's no so no somebody that can be shy around the dressing room. He's he's very very good around the dressing room with the lads and got a good camaraderie and and he's settled in very very quickly. And that and that 
as you said, I think no, just because he's a nice lad, he's just he's got that personality for it as well. Um, and that personality sometimes brings on the park. Um, some, some things he needs to work on, but that's just a, that's I suppose any manager's expectation. Are, are you bracing yourself for the day when somebody will come in for him because? If he yeah. continues scoring, it's going to be tough, isn't it, to keep him? Yeah, it will be tough to keep him, and, but uh, I, I'm no daft. I've been in the game too long that um, I, I certainly won't halt any player's progression. Um, but we've got our own aspirations at the club itself, you know, and, and I think every club with a new setup and through the pyramid scheme, we've got a good foundation at the club that we could really, really build on, and there's a lot of stuff going up, happening with the club off the field um, uh, that we'd like players that we've currently got that we want to keep for next season to be part of that. Um, and if Callum's part of that, then great. But if not, then I understand why, because he'll, he'll, be, going up, he'll be going up the ladder and uh, and it'll be, it'll be, we'll be wishing him all the best for it because he certainly deserves it. But there's a few other boys that do as well. I guess as part of this kind of building, this club and, and looking to next season, um, you know, you do your research for these shows and when you get guests on, I wonder, are you going to try and ban the boys from drinking coffees on match days next season as well? You're going to explain that one to me. So, yeah, so I was, I was told uh, when I was looking into you coming on the show that you tried to ban the boys from drinking coffees on match days. And when I mentioned it, you deny it. <laughs> yeah, no idea where that comes from, to be honest. Um, I don't know. A lot of boys slag me for my diet. I'm a vegan. I've been vegan for for, for uh, over two years, so um, I'm quite uh, quite uh, passionate, I suppose, about people having a good diet. And I think it does play a part in your your well-being and your your, your general fitness. But with coffees, no, I'm not, I'm not too sure where that came from. <laughs> what uh, what what prompted you to go vegan? Uh, it was more a personal thing. It was more uh, you'll probably think I'm going to have a soppy story here. It's just more of a family. Um, we've got a family genetic condition um, for uh, for heart disease, and all, all of us had to go and get tested. So all the family had to go and get tested through unfortunate instance through um, some uncles and that. And uh, um, it was just uh, I, I, I was kind of giving a bit of advice from my doctor, you know, about changing your diet and what have you. But, and I said, okay, well, I'll maybe look into it, spot the nutritionist. And, yeah, they, they made the suggestion that if a plant-based diet was maybe the best way, it's all about decreasing risk. Um, a heart, heart, heart disease is all about decreasing risk, and one of the biggest risks is a poor diet. So I thought I'd try it out and see what it was like. And, uh, yeah, me and the wife tried it for a, for a month. And, yeah, we've, we've been vegan ever since. So it was maybe in November or two years ago do you, do you feel any difference like in yourself 100 percent, yeah um you get a lot more energy you, you feel you feel like you got a lot more energy throughout the day don't get me wrong you're absolutely gubbed at night but as i said these earlier guys there me, me and the wife had a, a wee boy in june last year so i don't know if that's kind of knocked me back for six a wee bit you know what i mean because the sleep pattern's been out the window and yeah i'm maybe not as active as i used to be <clears throat> Do you, do you wish you'd tried it when you were a player? Do you think it would have helped as a player? 100%, yeah. I think it would have played a lot longer because um, I retired. I retired last... Uh, I retired officially from from playing and uh, just it towards the end of last season. Well, season uh, last June. So um, I, I definitely think I would have took care of my body a lot better. 
And how how was the step change for that? Were you was your diet horrific before that, and then going on onto that? Just eat garbage, but you know, and you know me, I'm stick thin, but um, you know, I trained a lot. Um, it, it wasn't just as I put it when I was a young lad. It wasn't just two nights a week and a game on a Saturday. I, I I used to play football uh, 24/7 uh, if I could, and uh, I think eat for me eating a lot of crap and a lot of garbage. I used to just train it out me and. Uh, I had a very good fitness, but I could just tell. See, what happened was I also when I was playing with Meda, I, I, I tore my cruciate, and that's when I could tell the difference because I was almost a year out, and I probably never recovered for that. We'll come back to that in the second half of the show. Just before we finish on management at Ashfield, I guess we can't we can't have you here and not ask you about your uh, YouTube uh, backroom staff star Ryan Dakiel and. Uh, and his podcast with uh, with PG um, has, has he changed? Have you noticed a change about him since he's become this YouTube star? Um, well, he's done this through the second lockdown, so he's probably been quite cute in it to the fact that he's saving himself a further pasting um, and and that football environment or the football club environment because we've not been around. But um, from the few interactions we had, now he's still the same lad. He's still the same. That's probably why he's doing the show, isn't he? because he's got that personality that he. I don't think anybody's got a bad word to say about uh, Dax. Probably a few crazy stories about him because he has a, a, a nutcase, but he's, uh, he's a good. He's a really, really good guy. Good coach as well. I think that's what people I hope don't forget about him. He's a very, very good coach. Um, but uh, but in terms of his personality and what you can bring to that show because I was on it in a podcast a couple of weeks ago and was invited on it and uh, yeah the two lads do a great job that's oh, very good it's worth a listen that's very good so, so you're not worried about losing him to Soccer AM or anything like that no he's not that good <laughs> <laughs> my name is Brown Ferguson manager of Linlithgow Rose and you are listening to Down the Divisions now here's Roach's roundup with Colburnie Lightside assistant boss Des Roach. Up in the SPFL at Peterhead, manager Jim McAnally has called for the cancellation of the current season. He feels that the cost of testing players regularly would prove too much, and this will leave a financial impact going forward into the next season. On some signing news, Auckland Lake have extended the contract of Kieran Healy, the defender come midfielder that signed from Renfrew, and they've also re-signed ex-player William Boyd, who's returned back to the country after working away. Some sad news. Uh, legendary ex Coburnley Lightside manager Bobby Davidson, who led the team for 35 years and to the Scottish Cup in 1997 before retiring in 1992, has sadly passed away. Over at co Rangers, Toby Moore again has passed away, someone who had a 30 year association with the Crowning, serving 25 as a club secretary. And finally, up at Arthurley, Kenny Hay, treasurer and current serving committee man, has passed away suddenly. Uh, he was an ex referee in the juniors and someone that I've particularly known for a number of years. Their thoughts go out to all of them. Hi, Stephen Aitken, East Coast Bayern manager. You're listening to Down the Divisions. Ashfield manager Paul Maxwell is with us this week. Um, so this love affair with Ashfield, Paul, it started with you being spotted playing for Arsenal Boys Club by Royal Albert manager Sandy Robertson. Is that right? Who did you find that out? Just do my, just do my research, Paul. Yeah, I don't know if I'm worried about that, actually. <laughs> Well, you denied the coffee, so you're as well denying that. <laughs> um, do you know Sandy, Paul? I know of him. 
Yeah, uh, so I stand his spot. He actually didn't spot me playing. He spotted my uh, my my, my teammates playing for Arsenal Boys Club. I wasn't playing that day, um, and uh, a few of them went out to Larkhall and trained. And um, the manager of Arsenal Boys Club said, "Look, I've got another boy here, and and, he, and he's a striker and really good." And so I was and then invited to the next training session, and he seen me in a training session, and and uh, he says, "Listen, I'm going to play." I'm going to start on Saturday. I said, okay, and we're playing. Albert at the time were at the doldrums. They were, um, you know, getting hammered every week. Um, and I, and when I joined, when I went to the first training session, I couldn't really quite understand because we had a decent squad, but getting hammered every week anyway. We played Johnston Borough, and Johnston Borough won the Premier League at the time. We were playing, it was like that uh, Western Scotland game, uh, at the Western Scotland Cup game. It was at Royal Albert. <coughs> Remember that part, Paul? Huge. Yeah. Um, also, don't play it anymore. But, uh, but I, I, I scored in the debut. We were with the one each, and we get beaten penalties. Jazz Jutler was the centre half at Johnson Borough, and I'll, and I, and I'll never forget that. I thought he was incredible. Um, and that was my first taste of junior football. And my, my taste—it's uh, already an experience with Sandy as a manager, who I thought was excellent. Um, just a different kind of way of being coached, a different. Way be managed since you were a. I mean, only played this football was under eight. I, it was that was my first taste of it. But Sandy ended up leaving quite short after. I, I don't know if he left or he got sacked. I wasn't too sure. But my last game was I actually got released the morning before a game against Ashfield, and I only stayed up, up the road from Ashfield. I was a local boy, and the manager was Wally McGarrigal. We played Ashfield to beat three three one. I think it was. And I played quite well for a while, but at the time, and he knew he got one that I'd been released, and he grabbed me in the tunnel on the way out as I was kind of about to go home, and he's like, "I want to sign you. We're chasing for a promotion. I want to sign you." And uh, I says, "Well, I've been released, so I can I can maybe come down and get a taste." He's like, "Well, I, we we need you to do it, okay?" And uh, that's kind of how it started. Was there any reason why you got released? Was a just because the manager had left, or? Yeah, I think manager left, and there was a bit of uncertainty. The guy, Peter, who's, who's still with the club at the yep. time, was a bit of uncertainty. Was going, a very good guy, and he was a bit of uncertainty who was going to take over. But I was a young boy as well, Paul, and, and Gareth, that I was, I was from the Arkwood area. I was from Milton in North Glasgow. I didn't drive at the time, so travelling out to Lark Hall to train, that was, was very, very difficult. And much as I loved it, well, but they're a good... A good club and uh, the good people there um, I thought you know Sandy moving on and having to travel out there back and forth two three times a, a week was very very difficult and I thought I'm not I may as well just you know just just cut ties at, at this time that was it Will, Willie then left and Stevie Rankin came in after that I think when he came in you were the only player you were the only player that he kept on from from the squad um, and then it seemed to be that under Stevie, that's when you then had your best your best days, if you like. Yeah, he actually kept three players. Um, myself, uh, Jimmy Stevenson, who was uh, the goalkeeper, or the cat, we call him. Um, he, he stayed as a kind of goalkeeper, stroke goalkeeping coach. Um, and my best mate is a guy called John Gaynor. He was he, he, he also remained there. But John actually broke his leg um, when we played under Wally McGarrigal in the first season. So... He was kind of injured, so Stevie was still quite keen if he came back. So 
but yeah, they um, had a very enjoyable time under under Rankin. Um, Sanchez, Stevie, and Wally Patterson it took over initially. Um, Wally, they were kind of joint co-managers at the time, um, the first season of it, um, and I, I thought I enjoyed it. They they, they just they they guys massive amount of experience they had in the game and, and they just brought a completely different dimension, brought different players to the club, different culture, I suppose is the best word to use to the club. And uh, that just grew and grew and grew over the years. And was Murdo McKinnon there then? Well, he came in as a player, Paul. Right. I say a player. I joke with us with Murdo that he was a statue, because sometimes I played in the middle of the park as well as a striker, and he was probably a statue in the middle of the park until a set piece came up. He would stick a free kick in the top corner and stick a pen <laughs> in the top corner, but he didn't move. I would run there, he's running for him. That, um, but I think he was to he was working with Rangers at the time, Murdo, and he was also doing his badges that he, he knew he wanted to go into the coaching world. So when Wally Patterson got the, the Glencairn job the following season with Scott Smith, Stevie then took on the manager role um, full-time himself uh, and Murdo was promoted almost as that assistant manager and I think that was probably the big change that happened. So you then had six or seven years there and 2010 comes round and and Jim Chapman takes you to Dumbarton. I, I, I saw somewhere when you signed for Dumbarton you'd said that you feared you'd never get a chance to play senior at that stage. You only stayed for, I think it was six months, you had nine games, one goal, I think, was, was a stat I saw somewhere. Did it just not fit for you that way in, in, in every aspect? Yeah, I've always been, a, I suppose, someone that likes to put my heart, I suppose, before my head, and my head was saying go to Dumbarton, but I've always had in my, in my heart that somehow doesn't feel right, because... We had won leagues at Ashfield, we got promotions to Ashfield, we were in the first division and I had a very, very good season. Um, and Ashfield were getting to cup finals and when Jim, Jim came and, you know, I was quite insistent that I would go there and, you know, you're thinking, that's a crack at senior football and it's not a lack of ambition, you, you almost, you, you want to go somewhere you want to enjoy playing. Um, and not that I didn't enjoy it, I actually thoroughly enjoyed it, but I'm glad I made the move because it was a big learning curve for me, um, fitness-wise in particular, and um, just a different level. But I was jumping from Super First Division, and Dumbarton were in the second division, no, the third division, the second division, so I was jumping up three, four levels, so I knew I had to really work. And I was actually probably one of the more older players, believe it or not. I think the oldest was in there was uh, Chalky, Alan McManus. Um, and then I think it was myself and a few others, and I'm thinking, well, yeah, it was it's good to get the opportunity. I'm going to try my best here. Um, but we never performed um, at all, and Jim ended up leaving. And uh, Alan Adamson was the assistant. He took over, and he, he point blank said to me that he wasn't keen on any junior football players coming into the club, um, which I appreciate his honesty. And I said, okay, I said, well, I think he was trying to actually sell me to Clyde Bank. Um, Audrey was trying to get me there, and then I said, "No, nah, if I'm going back to junior, I'll just I'll just go back to Ashfield. There's no other club I'll play for." And I went back that season. The best thing I did, to be honest, because I ended up going win the league and getting the club promoted. Well, not you personally, but helped contribute to that. Yeah, you went back there, and um, 
got some some good days. I guess it, it then kind of ended that spell ended when you lost that Super League Premier playoff against Logstessel. And and um, did you feel then maybe that you achieved all you could do, particularly at that time in your life and in your career, that that you could do with with Ashfield, and it was time for a new challenge. Yeah, I think with Ashfield, we, 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 we certainly lacked a lot of resources um, in terms of funds. Um, we never get paid a lot at all. Um, not that that was in, in the forefront of players' minds, but we certainly felt that we were probably two or three players away for being a right, right good squad and challenging for those titles in the Super Premier. That's how much we believed we could go and do it. At one point, we were leading the Super Premier before we absolutely could scalp the Talbot. I think it was an 8-1 or something down there. Um, and and we, we we went to that playoff with Largs, and it was literally only until the last four weeks of that season that we felt, by we were, we were really fearful here of getting relegated. We were comfortable the whole season. And we just went in a wee freakish run in the last three, four weeks of the season that we were actually, we, we, we need to go into a playoff now. Um, and that, I know, and believe it or not, a lot, a lot of people know this, but we'd, I'd actually already agreed to sign for another medal. Um, and Rankin had already agreed to go there before that playoff game, and um, we'd already agreed to go. And um, but I didn't, it didn't deter me, I, I, you know, because I thought, well, if I could leave Ashfield in a good way, that's to keep them in the Premier League. And trust me, that every single player there broke. You know, sweat and tears, it was both legs, but Largs did as well. And those two were probably the craziest games I've ever played in in junior football. First leg was three each, second leg was four each. The game was swinging back and forth. We get beaten penalties. Uh, the keeper, Connick, Stevie Connick, great keeper, you know, was, had, had a, an absolute blinder in uh, both games. Um, I remember scoring, well, sorry, I never scored a goal. I set up a goal in the first, the first leg that was. We just couldn't believe why it was chopped offside. Incredible, and it probably would have meant we'd have carried on and won the game. I know hindsight's a funny thing, but carried on, but never. I meant Lars would get back in the game and just swung back and forth. And the second leg, we were winning 3 0. Lars brought it back to three each, and then we won in 4 3, and then we scored a penalty. Big Tom scored a penalty in the 94th minute. And that was like, every, and it was a, a roast in Monday night as well, and it was only two days in between both games, so you didn't have a lot of respite. There was like a thousand people down at Largs, and uh, you know, it's like down in Ayrshire that when it comes to the Glasgow teams going down there, they, they gave us a hard time, but Largs deserved it at the end of the day. I thought um, just the way they came back, it's almost like Royal Rover stuff for them, and um, there was good people down there as well, so you were kind of, as you, as you reflect, months later not even weeks later because that's how long it took me to go over it then you think yeah good on them you know what I mean then you went down to to Urban Meadow as you say Stevie Rankin and Murdo was down there he, he, he went as well didn't he yeah, uh, yeah. You, you reached the Scottish Junior Cup semi-final that year then you know losing out to Hurlford but did, did you enjoy your time down there loved it yeah absolutely loved it um, it was hard for me to leave Ashfield at the time and Stevie <sighs> Stevie used to, Stevie, I remember when he phoned me and he said like, he took the other medal job and he wanted me to go down there and I said, is it okay? And he says, but I know it's going to be difficult getting you out of all the players because if he, if he opened me up, I would bleed black and white. And I said, that's probably true. I says, I says, but I, I also selfishly wanted to go and win 
the big titles. I wanted to get to the Scottish Cup final and I wanted to go and win the Premier League. I wanted to go and play the Senior Scottish Cup, but I certainly felt I was capable of doing that. And I certainly think there was players that we had at the club that I knew Stevie were taking down to Urban Meadow had capabilities doing that. But I knew why he took the Urban Meadow job on, because he probably deep down knows himself more resources there and if we can add that quality. So it's no surprise that we by adding players like Mark Staunton, Mark Toddle, um Darren Miller as well. It's um Darwin now that you know that we got to the semi final and we shot ourselves in the football ten minutes away for getting there. Halford just an unbelievable squad that that day and we just ran out of steam and then we finished we finished setting the league to Talbot so it was a uh, yeah it was very disappointing then even though it was a very, very, um, it was amazing first season and gave some games that I hadn't been involved in. And you can have, if you've got an affiliation with junior football, it's the games you want to be involved in. And I, I was very lucky to get experience that. You mentioned doing your cruise shit earlier on, that came the second season, didn't it? And and did that just kind of sum up the end of your time there, if you like? Yeah, and it was very unfortunate, you no, know, just because of the injury. But we, we played our first league game against Arfield, Um and we at Affle and we won two 0 and I, I remember getting off the field and I thought you know I played really well there and maybe because I was working in the Philippines through pre season that, that, that summer and I missed a lot of training and came back and I kind of rushed a pre season and and when I played against Affle that Saturday I thought I felt quite good after the game and maybe fitness coming there and then we had a, a quarter final League Cup sectional tie in the Monday night so it was two days later. And I wasn't going to play the game. Stevie said to me, he said, I'm going to save you. I, I said, I, that's fine. And Wally Sawyers was going, to, was going to play, was going to start up top. And Wally got stuck in traffic on the way down to Kilburnley. So I had to play. And I literally went up for a header with another big centre-half, can't remember his name. And the way I landed, it's just my leg gave way. And yeah, that was it. So, so it's a lot. And, and you said you never felt... Quite the same. No, I had the operation. The club actually supporters, ranking supporters, and actually getting the operation quite quick. And I say quite quick. I never got it until December, so I missed. I was out. I was knew I was going about for the season, um, and I got the operation. And uh, with the cruciate, I'd torn uh, my PCL, but I'd done cartilage damage as well. So um, the recovery, I think, was twelve weeks just to get you know you be able to run. And then I, I recovered quite well. I was I was able to run within about seven or eight weeks. Um, and uh, Meda were actually going very strong that season. I think they were they were challenging for the league. And I'm not saying I was rushed back, but I was probably myself desperate to get back. And probably should have had uh, thought about my my head there a wee bit and said, you know what, let let just let the boys crack on and. Um, I wouldn't say I had any bother with the knee, but just other fitness that you lose out on. And I just never recovered. And what I should have done is just left left it and go and I just had a solid pre season going into the following season. Um and never quite materialised that way, So yeah, I, I quite I, I struggled uh, overall fitness in a sense. Do you think you actually done it more damage going back as quick? Um as I said, probably not with the knee pull, but with other aspects. I've got a hole in my ground now. And I, I used to get other injuries, my back, and that was knackered as well. And um, uh, it was just wee niggles, and and I think just cardio as well was a big thing. You know, I was I was thirty when I done my cruciate, so it wasn't as like I was a young lad, you know. And um, 
as I said, my diet wasn't that great, so I do think actually that plays a part in it because you never really think that it's going in, but it did because you're not eating the right stuff as well, which is you're not putting the right fuel in your body to actually, you know, prepare yourself into a, a proper regime. And as much as I did actually train as hard as I possibly could, it just it just never quite materialised. Was it before the injury or after the injury that you started wearing cricket pads as your shinies? So that's where Callum Graham's giving you that rebound. <laughs> <laughs> you know, when you mentioned you mentioned ranking only signed two or three players, one of them was Jimmy Stevenson, the cat, and I turned up to Ashfield and I forgot my shinies one day, and this was a way back 2003-2002. So he gave me the cricket pack shin guards. And I was, I'm not really a superstitious guy, but it was one of those things that I thought was quite... Sounds a bit cheesy, a wee bit sentimental because Jimmy was a bit of a junior legend and looked up to him and uh, he says, no, keep them and I, I've still got them. I've still got them and I says, you know, I'm never, I'm never going to change them. And by the way, I've, I've, nev- I've never had a bruise in my shin once. So. What are they, like the old rockin' or things? Oh, by the way, Paul, see if you've got, I knew you were going to talk about them and bring them out. You'd be, you would be embarrassed with them. No, they're, they're, um, they're huge big things. They would cover your whole shin and just at the bottom of your knee and um, <laughs> I, I just I love that. I, I was very old school, you know, black and white boots and that. And I, that was uh, I still got them. So I, I think I, I'm doing my garage up now as a little man cave. So I might actually put that as a wee memento. <laughs> <laughs> well, when you when you left Evan Meadow, you went and um, played for a bit at Posse YM yeah. and uh, Kevin McDonald, and and then kind of but you went there, but then. Just with his work commitments, you ended up managing the team for a bit as well. Is that right? Yeah, look, my mate runs the team, uh, Kev, and another fella. And he says, look, I was kind of wanting to still stay junior football, but I knew fitness had to pick up as well. And I said, you know what, it might be not a bad thing just going there and try to enjoy my football again because we had a very difficult last season at Urban Meadow where, you know, ranking and Murdo get the sack and ended up David Gregg took over and ended up getting relegated. And I was like, a wee bit out in love with it and I was like you know let, let's go there try and enjoy your football game because I'm from that area I knew a lot of boys there and uh, Kev actually ended up saying I think it was after a month he says I can't commit to this you want to take over I was like uh, sure I was taking my badges and I knew I was going to go into the coaching world I knew my intentions and I took some few a few training sessions as well and I ended up taking over and yeah it was it was actually a good experience very very difficult you know Junior football and we're set, you know, we're now semi-pro is very difficult, but amateur, wow, that's a different level. Um, no different level for say in terms of the actual levels, but in terms of approaching and trying to coach players and trying to get players to turn up, wow, it's a, a, a it's a culture shot and a half. But I ended up we ended up winning a league cup as well, which was a good a good experience. And uh, but I knew my intention was eventually go back. To, to junior where I was a player or coach uh, the following season and, and the club knew that Postal knew that as well they're a historical amateur side so they, they knew that they had plenty of cover and I guess in, after first of all going to Ashfield um, after being spotted in a game playing against them bit of symmetry there where you went did you go and play a friendly with Postal YM against Ashfield and get talking to their manager at the time Robert Doherty I don't know how great research you're doing, Gareth. This is a bit, I'm, I'm terrified of this now. Yeah, <laughs> um, I, that's exactly what happened. Yeah, Rob, Robert Doherty randomly, I think through Tom Robertson, who's the chairman, he randomly just sent me a text, said, you interested in a friendly? And I said, yeah. So um, we, 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 we 
took them on in a friendly and I had to play in a friendly because typical amateur side, you turn up on a Wednesday night, it's freezing cold, you get 10 players or something, I have to play and I played centre-half and uh, strolled it and then Robert Dockett um, chinned me after the game and he's like, you still got a bit about you, you didn't think you were a centre-half, I thought you were a striker and I says, no I am, I says, but I says, I've to play here and he says, how do you feel about coming in? And I says, look, I says, oh, I'm quite happy there now and I said maybe we'll have a chat in a couple of months and sure enough we did and um, he brought me in the next season as a player coach. When Robert then left for the SFA you, know, you took over by the sounds of it it was something you always wanted to do anyway so uh, great that it was the, the kind of club you'd played most of your years at. Yeah I, I nearly got divorced with us I, I, get, I get managed uh, for I get, I get married um when did I get married? Three years ago. Uh, and Robert Dockett had a conversation about a week before my wedding. And he's like, by the way, Max, I might not be here next season. So he's telling me about the SFA role. Um, I says, so Malcolm McKay, I think he was pals with him. And he says, he've lost one a role. And I says, right, okay, so does that mean me Ashfield? And he says, well, I said to Tam that I think you should take her. And I'm like, okay, that, um, that's a bit of a surprise. But I'd need to think about that. Um, so anyway, I've went and got married. I've went my honeymoon to Jamaica. And it was actually in the flight, when we got we dropped, uh, the flight home, um, I got back to Heathrow. I had five missed calls for Tam Robertson. But there was a lot of conversation, me sitting at the pool, my phone sneakily at the pool, sitting there. <laughs> She's like, who are you talking to? And I said, I'm just playing snake on my phone. Um, <laughs> Well, and, uh, I, there was uh, a lot of kind of conversation happening as I was on my honeymoon, unbeknown to the wife. Um, but when I landed in Heathrow, yeah, that Tam's like, well, listen, we, we want to make decision, we want to get it out there that you're the, the manager, that if you, if you want to take it on board. And the conversation I was having through my honeymoon was speaking to my assistant, who's Ryan Curley, um, and a couple of, a couple of players as well, saying, look, I don't want to take Heathrow if he's only on board with me. Um, and I found that out before I landed in Heathrow. And, Sure enough, it was in Heathrow Airport when I said, yeah, I'll, I'll uh, take the job on. But I noticed you didn't quite hang up the boots after taking the job. I, I saw, uh, was it 2019, you were playing for Posse YM over 35s against Hamilton Ackies over 35s in the Scottish Cup final at Broadwood? Yeah, so Kevin McDonnell, who's uh, who's the, the original guy at Posse, he'd been pestering me for ages and to play, and, and I was just like, nah, it's, it's not really for me, and you know yourself, Paul, as a manager, there's so much going on. You've got a full-time job and you've got a family and I actually no good time to play. But he said to us, look, Paul, you don't even need to train. You just need to turn up on a Friday and play. And I was like, right, OK, I'll need to talk, speak to the missus. So he said, I spoke to the missus and she was like, no, I don't get to see you through the week and I don't get to see you the weekend. So I was like, how do I, I swear this? And then, <laughs> So Kev said to me, he says, how about you just play in the Scottish Cup games? You don't play in the league games, but you play in the Scottish Cup games. I says, that might work. So I went back to the missus and she's like, well, how does that mean? I says, well, we might get put out in the second round, I don't know. So I might only let you play two games. And she's like, oh, that's fine. So we ended up getting to the final, didn't it? So I ended up playing about seven or eight games for them and we got to the final. And it was, uh, I was, uh, I, I'm so glad I'd done it because... I'd never won a Scottish Cup before, personally, even at youth level or, um, you know, certainly at, at, 
under 18s or um, at junior level, and I thought, you know, maybe I'm at a last opportunity. And I was so glad. And we played Hamilton, by the way, and they had, they had some players there, but Donati, Massimo Donati, Donati played with Celtic all playing. I'm a, I'm a Rangers man. I'm an Ashfield and Northern Meadow man, but I'm other <laughs> Cubs Rangers, and I'm going to, I'm going to do him. I'm going to, I'm going to do him one. And I, I couldn't get near him. I was playing seven and a half, but I couldn't get near him at one point. So, uh, I, was like, I, was, I think we won like 4 or 5 0 or something in the final. It was a really good result. But you won 4 or 5 0? I think it was, yeah. It was, yeah. To be honest, a very comfortable cup final. Um, the semi final was a lot more difficult. We played against a side that had ex junior players. Mick Kennedy was playing, uh, John Dempster, and uh, striker Arlfield was playing, and I was, I was playing seven and a half. And, these were the guys that actually put me out the semi-final when we were playing for Hulford and I was at Urban Meadow, so I had a wee bit of payback on them. Um, <laughs> I, it, was a, uh, it was a very tough semi-final, but the final was a wee bit more comfortable. So I was delighted to do that. Yeah. And just last one, um, you mentioned you were working in the Philippines earlier on there. What, what took you out to the Philippines? Just my company. My company opened a branch here uh, way back in 2012. Uh, so they, me being in my role as training manager, they just needed somebody to go out there and train the agents and get them used to the culture and that. So over a two-year period, I'd been out there, I think, five times. Um, and each time was about four or five weeks. Um, but I, I'm a home bird, you know, so I, I get homesick quite easy. And uh, um, I think they were quite keen on me to be out there a bit more permanent, but um, it wasn't for me, so... My name is John McEwen, manager of Shots Bonacord, and you're listening to Down the Division. Which brings us to Inside the Mind. Each week we'll put our guests on the spot to look deep into their psyche and discover some hidden stories. Right, Paul, who was your idol as a boy? Uh, that's an easy one, Diego Maradona. Uh, it was my idol, yeah. Um, got it, obviously passed away not that long ago, but he was, uh, uh, I remember Italian 90, and my my stepdad always teases me to this day that I was bubbling my eyes out when Maradona gets sent off in the final against Germany. Um, uh, but I thought he was incredible, uh, an absolute unbelievable footballer. Um, there was a lot of I liked I liked uh, a lot. Of, he was I think a lot of people's idols in a sense, but I liked a lot of players that, um, particularly in a striker aspect, that had a bit about them as a striker. You know, I liked Didier Drogba. I thought it was a great striker. Dado Puzzle was somebody I thought was a great striker. Mark Catley, um, another good player. Uh, even the likes of Chris Sutton, even though he was against my other team, I thought he was phenomenal. Um, just somebody who was just a bully. And yeah, uh, those those guys I thought were a really good strikers. But Maradona, Maradona head and shoulders above them all. Who's the toughest opponent you faced? Um, so there's a few I think Mark Campbell was a big sparky at Urban Meadow was um, always you always knew you were coming up against them coming up against a tough opponent um, but you know one person I probably don't mention enough when I get asked that question um, who ended up being my teammate but any time I played against him I never got a snap it was Lee McShane um, Lee McShane who's, who was at Glencairn and Peter Sill and then ended up coming to Ashfield um as a teammate of mine and even as a teammate you could understand why he, he was so good a player he wasn't technically great but he was a pest he was so good in the air so aggressive uh, and just a horrible player to get played against 
but if I had to pick one, it'd be Big Sparky. Mark Campbell was, I was quite prominent in, in the air, but I really struggled against him at times. What's the favourite football top you've worn and why? Um, I'm going to sound quite cheesy here, but I, I just love the traditional black and white Ashfield hoop top. I just think it's uh, a proper, just be, when you look at the history of the club and what they've worn throughout the years, it's never really changed. It's obviously a lot of clubs do that, but uh, I don't think anything beats that, to be honest. Traditional black and white hoops. And a lot of players, a lot of uh, people comment on it as well from uh, uh, a lot of managers and that, that they love coming to Ashfield and seeing those black and white hoops. So I think it's a bit traditional. Uh, who's the best player you've played with? Yeah, there's a lot of good players I've played with. I was quite lucky, um, particularly when I went to Urban Meadow. You know, Matt Staunton, uh, Twaddle, Matt Twaddle. Dan Miller was a very good player. Uh, one of my best mates, we Sean Fraser, who's at Pollock now, was, was right up there, a very, very gifted player. But Matt Thompson was, was head and shoulders above them all. Um, at Ashfield, and, and we got the best of them at Ashfield, and we got just about the best in the urban medal as well. Unbelievable player. And what's the best practical joke you've seen? See, practical jokes is, see, I, I was kind of, I was too much a nice lad, but I, I, was, <laughs> I was involved in a few, I was, I know Paul, you're laughing at, but I was, a, I was a serious player. I was one of the players that folk were like, you know, I'd, I'd give him a right good dunt at training. However, you know, there was the old one that, you, you, you used to tease players with the old shirt and tie at a Scottish Cup game and we had a Scottish Cup tie up at Banks of D um, for Ashfield and Gary McCann you'll know is, was, was just coming into Ashfield, very good player, with a young boy called Paul Mangan as well and Murdo has sent a message out to all the boys about the details for the Mora, but he's also sent a separate message out to like, the likes of Gary McCann and Paul Mangan saying lads it's shirt and tie tomorrow sent a message out to the rest of the boys saying I've just stitched me McCann up, don't say anything if he phones you, you need to buy along so sure enough we got a McCann's phone this Maxie, I trust you nice boy, you know that nice guy, experienced player, I'm being told it's shut and tied tomorrow is it? And I say it's Gary it's a tradition at the club every Scottish Cup game particularly the first one, Mick the president's going to be there, you need to wear shut and tie Mangan, Paul Mangan's phoned me up 10 minutes later same spiel Mangan, it's a tradition at the club. You need to, you need to um, wear shirt and tie. So sure enough, they've turned up shirt and tie right in the fucking region. The boys are giving the pelters and that, and uh, gave me growlers and the bus away up there. However, I went and played Banks of D, and I'm playing. I don't think Gary was playing. He's either playing or he gets subbed off early. Mangan wasn't playing either, and I went in the dressing room and the pair of tadgers have went out to some sort of news agents or something like that and bought, you know, sellotape and my my clothes. <laughs> Are mummified and sellotape. Everything's mummified and sellotape. But I see some balls on them, by the way, because I'm going to kick the shit out of the way. My trousers, my, my boots, and everything are all sellotape covered. And uh, I couldn't wait to train. I said fair play to them, you know. So I said I couldn't wait to training until the Monday because um, I'm going to kick lumps at them. But um, I had a, I said, that's probably the best one. The other one was uh, we had a player, Mick McBrady, um, who used to come in suited and booted. Mick was a brilliant character. This is under the ranking years, and a very experienced player. Um, he was uh, the life and soul of the dressing room, and always praised about his ties. Um, then we had a striker, Paul McDougall. Now, if you don't know Paul McDougall, Mark McDougall was an absolute crackpot, and it was fireworks night, and he grabbed his ties and put them with fire, set them alight on a rocket, and 
in the middle of Ashfield Park and we were training Mick Mick was absolutely devastated (laughs) the boys were killing themselves laughing and Mick's like I'm going to kill him I'm going to kill him and he's setting all these rockets off and trousers and ties and that going off in the middle of Ashfield I I think uh, I think I think both of those stories were Murdo's best practical jokes as well Probably, aye. Murdo, <laughs> Murdo tells a Thai one. I'm sure he said the first one as well. Or if, if he didn't say the first one, somebody else has talked about the ties anyway. Yeah, we know, shirt and ties. Hi, I'm Ross Wilson, manager of Mary Hill, and you're listening to Down the Divisions. Before we finish up, we'll clear up the Down the Divisions decider. Over to you, Paul, with the clues again. So they were founded in 1964. They play in a meadow. Lee McCulloch played for them. They now share their ground with a team who had to move from their home at Adams Lee Park. Gareth, I'll go with you because Maxie knows this. I want to say it's the team that Rob Roy is sharing with. What's their name? Aye. Can't think. Mine's gone blank. Maxie? Yeah, it's Cumbernauld. Cumbernauld United. Cumbernauld United. One point for action, you say Cumbernauld, Maxie, but. <laughs> <laughs> 1964, I thought they were a lot. Ah, 1964. I, I get sent off there, but it was my first sending off I got there, and Rankin tore me a new backside after that game. By the way. I'll, I'll never get sent off again, put it that way. He there told you me go. I was only about 20, 21. What did you do to get sent off? I, I touched heads with something. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody from Milton has ever touched heads with somebody. <laughs> Paul, thanks for thanks for joining us tonight. Uh, appreciate you coming on, and um, if the season starts, if it doesn't, we uh, we wish you all the best for the for the future and. This season, next season, whenever it is, we hope uh, we hope things go well and uh, you continue with that kind of transitional thing and bringing the young boys through and you you reap, reap the rewards of doing that. Thanks for having us, lads. Doing a great job and all the best. Thanks again to our sponsors, 44 Creative. Go to www.44creativehq.com if you're looking for a photographer, graphic designer, videographer or video editor. And don't forget, you can get in touch with us with your comments or suggestions for people to speak to or if you'd like your club's audio featured on the show. Our email address is downthedivisions at gmail.com. That's downthedivisions at gmail.com. Or you can get in touch via Facebook, Twitter, or Instagram. Do leave a comment, which helps others find us, and subscribe to get alerts when our latest episode is released. We'll be back next Friday on Down the Divisions. Down the Divisions.